Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. My prayer this morning and my aim for the message is that every person in this room, before we're done, will call upon the Lord. Believers need to call upon the Lord continually in order that you might keep yourself in the love of God. That's what it says in Jude 21. Unbelievers need to call upon the Lord decisively that you might be saved. That's what it says in Romans 10.13. Everyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved. So there is not a person in this room for whom this text is irrelevant. Everybody in this room needs to call upon the Lord this morning. Some need to call upon the Lord that you might not be left in the hardness and unbelief of sin as the window of opportunity closes. And others need to call upon the Lord so that you might not miss out on that special blessing of guidance or of help or of... uh, kindness that the Lord has to give you today. The message has two parts. The first is to show you from the Word of God what it means to seek the Lord from Isaiah. The second part is to show you why you should want to seek the Lord. So I'd like to take those two one at a time and just out of Isaiah unfold first what does it mean To seek the Lord. First of all, from verse 6. To seek the Lord means to call upon the Lord. Let's read that verse. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So if you set yourself this morning to seek the Lord, or tonight in your bedroom, or under the stars, taking a walk perhaps tonight, dealing with what you've thought and heard today, the first thing you will do if you seek the Lord is call to the Lord. Now there's a religious word for that. Pray. But the problem with using the word pray is that there are so many people near to the kingdom who say, I can't pray. Either I'm not good enough to pray, or I don't know enough religious language to pray, or I'm so far from God or have no personal relationship with God, it would be an utter shambles and sham if I were to pray. And so that word pray is like a great religious barrier between the non-religious seeker and salvation. Well, it's not here, so let's scrap it. The word is, call. 
Now that's a word in everybody's language. You get on the telephone and you call a friend. You call the waiter to come over. A little boy last week saved his father's life by calling 911 because his blood sugar, the father's blood sugar, went out of sight. And he went over and the little boy had the presence. 911. Everybody knows what call means and you don't need a high school diploma to call on God. You need a little sense of desperation and you need this much language. Oh God, if you're there, help me. That's all. Step number one, the most fundamental reality in seeking God this morning is call on Him. Help me. God. Number two, I get from verse 7, the second thing that it means to call upon the Lord is to forsake wicked ways and unrighteous thoughts. Let's read that. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Now what we've got here is the the negative side, I suppose, of what we just saw. If you begin to take seriously seeking God positively by saying, Oh God, help me. If you're there, show yourself. If you begin to take that seriously, you've got to take seriously this, this negative side of, of forsaking what displeases God. And that's so obvious, isn't it? That if you're grasping for God, if you're seeking Him and you know that there's something displeasing to Him dragging you this way, if you don't let that go, then your seeking is a sham. It's not real. The first thing that will happen to you today if you get serious about seeking God, you know what it is? The quickening of the conscience that there's some things in your life that need to be forsaken. That's the first thing that will happen. If you get serious right now in your pew and say, God, I seek you, I want you, show yourself to me if you're there, the first thing that will happen is the awakening of a seared conscience to realize there's some things in your life that have got to go. They may be little things, they may be big things. Now at that point, you face a crisis. Do I keep seeking which means forsaking, or do I stop seeking and keep embracing those things my conscience has just condemned? And so the second answer to the question, what does it mean to seek God, is forsake whatever in your life displeases Him and dishonors Him. They're called wicked ways and unrighteous thoughts. Now that means ways are behaviors, thoughts are attitudes and thoughts. Inside and outside, you turn away from what is displeasing to the Lord. Not to do that would be like a, a man who forsakes his wife, gets an apartment, carries on an affair alongside his marriage, and then in a moment of frustration gets on the phone and calls his wife to seek her and invites her to come spend the night. And she asks him, have you forsaken her? And he says, no. 
she will rightly say, you are not seeking me as your wife. Your words are empty. And so I don't, I don't want us to get the impression that you can seek God sincerely and keep the paramour in your bedroom. Whatever that is, from little to big. Third, let's go outside of Isaiah 55, back to Isaiah 8. If you want to follow with me and see where I'm going to get these next three points of what it means to seek the Lord, I'm going to take one from chapter 8, one from chapter 9, and one from chapter 31. Number three, in answering the question, what does it mean to seek the Lord, comes from verse 19 of chapter 8. It says, when they say to you, consult, that's what it says in the RSV, the literal word there is seek, just like in Isaiah 55. When they say to you, seek the mediums and the wizards who chirp and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? And the answer, of course, is no, they shouldn't. Why? Because God ought to be sufficient to seek God. The Word of God and the Spirit of God ought to be enough. And therefore, today, the way to seek God is to stop seeking astrologers, fortune tellers, psychics, mediums, seances, channeling, Ouija boards. You just cease all of those attempts to get information and you go to God. Now, there are a lot of people today, right up to the White House, evidently, who think that you can mingle the occult with Christianity. That you can somehow innocently ask for a little information about getting a job or about uh, who to marry or about investments on the stock market. A little psychic energy? Why not? Who? It doesn't hurt anybody, right? Make a good decision, make a little money, get a job. The reason that's not to be done is because it's an abomination to God. And the reason it's an abomination to God Almighty is because it's a slap in His face in that we say your word and your spirit and your counsel are inadequate. I will look at the stars. I will find somebody who has dealings with spiritual powers. And you inevitably run into the paths of Satan when you do that. So, the, the third meaning today, for our day, of seek the Lord while He may be found is steer clear of counterfeit occult procedures of revelation. Steer clear. If anybody is dealing or wheeling in those things in your acquaintance, just tell them on the basis of Isaiah 8:19. You don't want anything to do with it. Your Bible, the Spirit of God, and His counsel are wholly adequate for living a life pleasing to Him. The fourth meaning of seeking the Lord while He may be found is found in chapter 9, verses 12 and 13. The Syrians on the east and the Philistines on the west devour Israel with open mouth. This is a judgment from God. For all this, God's anger is not turned away, 
and his hand is stretched out still. The people did not turn to him who smote them, nor seek the Lord of hosts. Israel did not turn to the God who struck them. They did not seek the Lord of hosts. And there are a lot of people today who would say, neither would I. Why would anybody want to turn to a God who hits him? Why would anybody draw near to a God who smites? This text clearly says they should. The answer is so simple. There's nothing complex about this answer at all. The reason you should turn and seek a God who smites is that the only reason He smites is that you don't. The only reason He smites is that you turn your back on Him and try to embrace that which cannot satisfy and will destroy you. What is the smiting of a God who only smites people who turn from Him for bread that cannot satisfy and water that poisons. What kind of a God strikes at that moment? And the answer is a God who loves. The only smite you can feel on your back this morning from God, if you turn from Him, is a smiting that could save. If He were to leave you to walk, if He left Israel to walk straight into idolatry, with no smiting, that would be no God of love. And so here, here's a great Christian truth. It looks like a paradox, but on a moment's godly reflection, the paradox vanishes into beautiful harmony. Namely, God frowns upon and is displeased with sin. He wields a rod against sinners. His invitation is that they escape His rod by running into His arms. And there's so many people, just like the Israelites here, who will not turn to the God who smote them. Because they think He has no right to smite them. Or they didn't do anything bad enough to get smitten? Or who wants a God who is angry? All of which are very foolish arguments. Because we've all done enough to be smitten. And His smiting is a smiting of love while the window of opportunity is open. So the fourth meaning of seek the Lord while He may be found is this. Seek refuge in God from God. Did you get that? Seek refuge in God from God. The only person for whom God is a danger are those running from Him. You turn around and run toward Him, everything changes. Now, the final meaning I want you to see about seeking God is found in chapter 31 of Isaiah, verse 1. And it has to do with 
seeking his counsel rather than depending on the arm of the flesh. Isaiah 31.1 says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek, that's the word, seek the Lord. Now, how many times have you done this? You face a decision, and before you realize it, half an hour later, the decision has been made. You've only taken in man to account, money, time, weather, resources, and there's the decision, and you didn't pray one second. Not one minute did you consult God. How many times have we done this? Like Israel. Going off to Egypt. A lot of resources in Egypt. A lot of chariots. A lot of horsemen. Sure, they can defeat the Assyrians. Solution. God in heaven standing there with His hands held, held out. You can imagine how flabbergasted God must be when the infinitely wise possessor of all resources watches His people use their finite little brain to come to all their little decisions in church and out of the church without waiting upon the Lord. George Mueller wrote, I never remember in all my Christian life, a period now 69 years and four months, that I ever sincerely and patiently sought to know the will of God by the teaching of the Holy Spirit through the instrumentality of the Word of God, but I have always been directed rightly. But if honesty of heart and uprightness before God were lacking, or if I did not patiently wait upon God for instruction, or if I preferred the counsel of my fellow men to the declarations of the Word of the living God, I made great mistakes. So I sum up these five meanings. To seek the Lord this morning means to call upon Him, it means to forsake ways and thoughts that are displeasing to Him. It means to consult Him rather than occult, counterfeit, revelatory procedures. It means to turn to Him in order that He might rescue us from His own anger. And it means to ask His guidance and put our trust in that rather than human strength and wisdom. So now I want to come to the last part of the message, namely, why should you want why should you want to seek God and I, I see three reasons in this text the first reason I see in verses 8 and 9 you should want to seek the Lord because your ways and his ways your thoughts and his thoughts are as far apart as heaven and earth now, verses 8 and 9 are generally quoted out of context and the connection with verse 7 is regularly overlooked and missed. I want to read the verses and then show you the connection so that we get the sense right this morning. Verses 8 and 9 say, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your 
thoughts. Now, the way that is usually handled is a perplexing circumstance comes into our life. We can't figure out what's going on. And we comfort ourselves by saying, well, God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. He knows what's going on. We don't. Now, that's a glorious truth. It's just not what this text is saying. Because if you look back at verse 7 and see why he has chosen to refer to the thoughts and the ways of God in comparison to our thoughts and ways, the answer is because ours are wicked and unrighteous and his are heavenly and high. The point of this text is this. Let me try to read it so you get the flow. Let the wicked forsake his way. Notice the word way. Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Notice the word thoughts. Let him return for mercy. Why? Because God's thoughts are so high and we're so out of sync. There's an infinite chasm, a grand canyon between God's ways and thoughts and my crummy ways and thoughts. So the first reason to seek God is that until we seek Him, we're so infinitely out of sync with Him. I don't think this text is teaching that God wants His ways to be not our ways and that He wants His thoughts to be not our thoughts. We ought to have the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. We ought to have the mind of the Spirit, Romans 8.5. We ought to walk in the ways of God, Psalm 23. God's ways ought to be our ways. His thoughts ought to be our thoughts. The point of this text is not the inscrutability of the ways of God. It's the infinite sinfulness of man separated by a chasm that's as big back in that day as saying as high as that blue is, which we could never get to, right down to this dirty earth. Today we'd have to say something like, as far away as that new galaxy is that they discovered 180 light, million light years away or whatever. That's how far away we are from doing the will of God without seeking Him. When you don't seek the Lord, His ways are out of reach, out of sight, out of mind in their godliness, holiness, purity, and wonder. And we are so low and far away in our ways and our thoughts. Reason number one why you should want to seek God is to close that gap. Cross that canyon. I mean, nobody wants to leave this room this morning with a grand canyon between your mind and God's mind, do you? Nobody wants to leave this room by saying, He has His ways, I've got mine ways. Reason number two for why you should want to seek God this morning is because when you do, you find pardon and not punishment. Look at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is a great text, friends. God wants people with wicked ways to come to him. God wants people with unrighteous, rotten thoughts this morning. To come to Him. 
And what He promises when they come to Him, call upon Him, seek Him, is mercy, or I love the phrase in the next line better, abundant pardon. I don't want you to miss that word abundant. The reason that word abundantly pardon is in there is so that we won't get the impression He's like a judge that says, okay, Jesus did that. I guess I'll have to pardon you. Go ahead. You're free. And never look at you again. You walk out of His courtroom and do your own thing for the rest of your life. That's totally different from what's in view here. Abundant pardon is so big that that judge, when he, with tears flowing down his face because of his love for you and his love for his son and the blood that was shed, says, acquitted, you may go, but wait. And then he calls in this parole officer. Only he's unlike any parole officer you've ever known. His name is the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And he says, uh, I'm going to send the parole officer. And he's not to cramp your style, he's to save your life. He will help you, he will bless you, he will watch over you, he will meet your needs, he will keep you in my paths. And now you may go. When you talk abundant pardon, you talk more than acquitted. You talk about provision for life in godliness. And so the second reason why everybody in this room this morning should want to seek God is because if you run from God, He will smite If you come to God, He will pardon, and that pardon will be like a volcano of mercy. It says, He delights to show mercy. That text that I quoted in the Welcome to Worship, you know where that comes from? That's one of those precious discoveries on my vacation from Micah 7.18. Who is a God like thee? Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of your people. He will not always retain his anger because, and here's the best line of all, he delights to show mercy. He doesn't just show mercy, he gets excited about showing mercy. Do you know that that's the way God is this morning? Do you see God that way and feel God that way? That when you draw near to God, no matter how rotten your thoughts have been, no matter how bad your ways have been, he gets excited about your coming. There is nothing held back in the joy that He has about your coming. There is no bitterness or resentment as though He were forced to give you this pardon. God is like a uh, volcano of excitement about how good He's going to be to you the rest of your life. Did you know that at the end of Psalm 23, which we translate so Blally in the RSV, He will follow me with goodness and mercy all my days. Do you know what the word follow really is? Pursue. And we've used the illustration around this church. Pursue like a highway patrolman chasing you down the road to stop you, not to give you a ticket, but to give you a passport to glory. God is after you with all His heart. When you turn to Him. That's reason number two. Reason number three is very brief, and with it we end. According to verse six, there is a temporary window of opportunity. You see that? Seek the Lord while He may be found. While He may be found. 
while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. What's the implication of those words? The implication is he will not always be found. He will not always be near. We talk in politics today about a window of opportunity. What we mean is it could close. We don't know when it will close. Use it while you've got it. Now, this morning, God is near. This morning, He may be found. The reason I know that is because He draws near when people pray. Psalm 145.18 And people are praying for this service. Number two, He honors His Word. We're going to talk about that next week because these next verses are so glorious about His Word. He honors His Word. God has drawn near in this room this morning. We saw Him draw near in the first service in a powerful way. And He's here too. There is absolutely no guarantee under this sun that He will be near this afternoon. There is not one warrant for believing that He may be found this afternoon. Because you could be dead. Or He could withdraw His patience. But right now, the Lord is near. And here's the way I'd like us to close the service. Dealing with God wherever you are in your need to call upon Him. It may be the call for salvation. It may be the call to help Him overcome some wicked way and unrighteous thought. It may be the call for some guidance or some counsel that you need. Or it might be the call of confession. Deal with Him in your heart as we bow. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And all the people said, Amen.